Today's date is Sunday, March 13, 2022. We are reading from the big book of AA, pages 68. Aaron K will be, oh, I'm sorry. Sharon W will be our reader, followed by a 20 minute share by Aaron K. After read, okay, so go ahead, um, Sharon W. You can go ahead and start the reading. Thanks, Maria. Sharon W. Grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Los Angeles, Rhode Island today. Okay, now about sex. Many of us needed an overhauling there, but above all, we tried to be sensible on this question. It's so easy to get way off the track. Here we find human opinions running to extremes, absurd extremes, perhaps. One set of voices cry that sex is a lust of our lower nature, a base necessity of procreation. Then we have the voices who cry for sex and more sex, who bewail the institution of marriage, who think that most of the troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes. They think we do not have enough of it or that it isn't the right kind. They see its significance everywhere. One school would allow man no flavor for his fare and the other would have us all on a straight pepper diet. We want to stay out of this controversy. We do not want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. We all have sex problems. We'd hardly be human if we didn't. What can we do about them? We reviewed our own conduct over the years past. Where have we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Whom had we hurt? Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? Where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? We got this all down on paper and looked at it. In this way, we tried to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. We subjected each relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? We asked God to mold our ideals and help us to live up to them. We remembered always that our sex powers were God-given and therefore good, neither to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised and loathed. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow toward it. We must be willing to make amends where we have done harm, provided that we do not bring about still more harm in doing so. In other words, we treat sex as we would any other problem. In meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. The right answer will come if we want it. God alone can judge our sex situation. Counsel with persons is often desirable, but we let God be the final judge. We realize that some people are as fanatical about sex as others are loose. We avoid hysterical thinking or advice. Thank you for letting me be of service. You're muted, Maria. Thank you so much for reading, Sharon. Um, now I'd like to introduce our speaker, Erin Kay. Um, Erin, thank you so much for joining us this morning and I'm very eager to hear what you have to say about the pages. So thanks, go ahead, Erin. All right. Um, Hi everybody, I'm Erin Kay. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I live in Michigan and I've been in OA for about two and a half years. And um, I know we're talking about the sex inventory today, but I'll just give a brief qualification so that you guys know that I am one of the cool kids that qualifies to be among you. Um, basically, I, you know, I was raised by a single mom on fast food and junk food, and I developed an addiction to food really early in life. And as a result, I was 
an obese teenager well into plus sizes in high school with all the associated pain that goes along with that. And then um, toward the end of high school, I joined a gym. I went on this crash diet. Um, I was taking supplements and I dropped about 50 pounds in three months. And that introduced me to a completely new high, which is the, the attention and the validation that I got from the rapid weight loss. And so, you know, then basically that started a 20 year cycle. You know, I spent all of my twenties and thirties in this insane state of binging and restricting and compulsively exercising, taking pills that had me walking around with palpitations all day long, you know, eating whole jars of peanut butter and whole half gallons of, of course, low fat ice cream in between these weighed and measured, you know, super healthy, low carb meals. And I would gain and lose the same 30 pounds over and over again. And basically every day I woke up and I locked horns with the food. And even when I thought I was controlling it, it was really still controlling me. And so, you know, in tandem with this struggle to control my food was my struggle to, you know, maintain control in the rest of my life. Both my parents are alcoholics. There's a lot of addiction in my family. So I learned really early on that I couldn't trust the people who were supposed to take care of me. And basically I had to be completely self-reliant to survive. And I developed what I lovingly refer to as my defaults of character and basically learned how to, you know, control hustle and people please my way to success. And, you know, that, that method, you know, basically my will got me through a lot in life, you know, to the point that I looked very good on paper. Um, I, I got on basically the train tracks of, of this long career of, of medical training. And after 16 years of that education and training, you know, I'd finally arrived at this dream job that I had worked so hard to get. And I got to my office and hung all my diplomas on the wall. And I sat at my desk under those diplomas and I felt like a total imposter. I was full of fear every day. Um, I resented the, you know, the shit out of my job and my patients and basically came home, you know, I would put on this face at work and then come home. And when I wasn't working, I would binge watch these baking shows on Netflix and then try to recreate all the things that they did. And then I would just eat everything in one sitting myself. And I started to gain weight rapidly. And I, I tried to go back to my dieting and exercising and basically everything that had worked in the past just stopped working. I couldn't stop eating. I called my mom and I said, I, I can't stop eating. I don't know how to be happy. And she said, you know, I think that there's, there's AA for eaters. You should try to find it because she by then had recovered in AA herself. And that's basically, I Googled and I, I found myself in, at the doors of my first meeting. And I wish that I could say, you know, the rest was history and I recovered right away, but I actually struggled for almost two years um, in the rooms trying to do it my way. And guess what? I found that half measures availed me nothing. So what did my way look like? Um, I was working the steps kind of on the side in my spare time when I felt like it. Um, I was not abstinent. I, I was still binging just about every two weeks during that first couple of years. And I basically found myself in that state that I've heard, you know, I came to hear people describe 
I was miserable with the food. And then when, when I wasn't eating, I was really miserable without it. I was full of self-pity. You know, the only calls that I ever made were to my sponsor to whine about my life and basically despair that I was terminally unique and I just couldn't get this program. And I was, I was drowning in that bitter morass. And I had worked the steps to the point where I got to these step 12 questions that were asking me about my, you know, now that you've had a spiritual awakening. And I, I basically knew that I had not had anything of the sort. And I really was ready to give up on OA. And, um, but, you know, there is a but. I, I didn't give up. And I'm really glad that I didn't. Um, basically, a, a local friend started calling me, showing up in my life, looking, acting really differently. And she turns out had, had what I've come to realize was a total psychic change. And she introduced me to a strong big book focused meeting. And uh, at first I was really resistant to what I was hearing, but as I heard these people describe this painful cycle that I was in where I can't live with the food and I can't live without it, something in me just kind of broke down. You know, I just, it was that inner surrender. And I, I realized I hadn't taken step one. I thought I was on step 12. I hadn't taken step one. I hadn't surrendered. I hadn't surrendered the food, first of all, foods that were keeping me locked in craving and stuck in a cycle of binging. Um, I was holding on to the idea that I was somehow different from all of you. Like I could have my cake and eat it too. Like only I could do that, right? Um, I was terrified to put these foods down. But then I realized like, you know, I had this thought, what's the worst that could happen? You, you do it and you might feel better. Would that be so bad? So I took step one, you know, I surrendered. I admitted I was powerless. I, ca I cannot do this my way. And I became open to doing it someone else's way completely. And I found a sponsor, an awesome sponsor to take me through the steps with the big book. And she really co-signed zero BS. And she told me, you know, you're not special and you can recover. And I latched onto that little flimsy read of hope that she gave me when I talked to her for the first time. And I just agreed to do what she said. And one of the things was I needed to make at least two outreach calls daily and commit to working the steps, you know, diligently as laid out in the big book of AA. You know, and then I came to step two. And I really, by that point, had not come to believe that there was a power greater than myself that could restore me to sanity. And I, I came in very agnostic. I had a lot of contempt for religion. Um, and, you know, my logical doctor mind just wouldn't let me accept this God thing. And because I kept kind of hearing what I thought was, you know, this idea that you pray for the specific outcome and then you get it. And that just didn't jive with me because what happens when you don't get the outcome you're praying for? And I spent a bunch of time trying to apply my intellect to solving this higher power thing like it was a math problem, you know, and trying to define what I thought I wanted this higher power to be and do for me in my life. And it was only when I stopped, you know, I started connecting with other people and I stopped trying to define what I wanted God to be and do for me and started, you know, with the help of my sponsor and working through steps one and two trying to think about what I thought God would want me to be and do for other people. You know, what could I get behind? Um, being honest, being, being vulnerable, you know, being helpful to other people. 
that's when the psychic change started to occur within me just a little bit. And, you know, and then it turns out, you know, I've heard, I heard this said very beautifully once, and I say it a lot, prayer doesn't change outcomes. It changes the person praying. So that's something I could embrace. You know, I could, I knew I could be changed. And I went, you know, gradually from someone that was obsessed with what I looked like with my weight and weight loss to someone who started paying more attention to connection with other people and being useful to other people, being useful at work to my patients. And I can't stress how much the connections I made in those daily calls really helped me because fellowship, no, the fellowship no longer became this noun, it was this noun or this thing external, but it became this verb, you know, it was this thing that I did every day. And I started connecting in a way that I hadn't ever done before. And these connections that I made, you know, opened me up more and more to a conception that there is something bigger than me. And every call that I made also provided this complete relief from the feelings that drove me to eat. And it just kept happening over and over again. And eventually I surrendered to the data of that experience. And that, you know, that was my step two. And ultimately the way that I define my higher power is that God is a force for good within and between us. And that's all I need. You know, I stopped questioning and needing God to make sense. And I started talking to God and listening to intuition. And I found that, you know, food was just the very first and smallest surrender on a path of letting go of myself and my ego and my will, which is really what working the steps is about. And I found such a contrast between going through the steps that, you know, the second time and the first time, because I discovered that steps four through nine absolutely have to be rooted in steps one through three, that foundation in order to work. And when I tried to work the steps without reliance on a higher power, I couldn't awaken or change. And, you know, we're in step four. And when I did my fourth step, the first time still relying on food for comfort, I couldn't connect to real power. And, and I couldn't see anything clearly, especially my part of resentments or the harms that I had done in relationships. And, you know, I think this is, I'm kind of uh, you know, I may misquote, but I think it's in the AA 12 and 12. Bill says, when we consider a broken relationship, we immediately focus on the harms done us and minimize any harms that we might've done to the other person. It's like, you know, this is our default inclinations as human beings. And I think it's self-protective, but this program has taught me to challenge patterns of thinking that the world tells me are totally justified. Like it's okay to have this resentment or feel this way, um, you know, and kind of coddle it and pet it and feed it and love it. Um, you know, and when, when um, I was asked to speak at the, the meeting, I was, you know, very happy about that. But then Kim says, you know, okay, you're going to, you're going to do now about sex. And I was a little bit like, you know, my heart kind of sank because who really wants to talk about this stuff, right? Um, you know, and before I launch in, cause I'm actually going to just give some examples right out of my own inventory. Um, I'll just quote Bill W. I think it's like on page 27. He says, we hope no one will consider these self-revealing accounts in bad taste. Our hope is that many alcoholics desperately in need will see these pages and will believe that it is only by fully disclosing ourselves 
and our problems that they will be persuaded to say, yes, I am one of them too, I must have this thing. So some nuts and bolts about the sex inventory, you know, first, it's not really about sex, right? It, you know, I think that's the point Bill's trying to make in those first couple of paragraphs that we read talking about straight pepper diets. You know, it's not about who you love or the mechanics of what goes on behind closed doors. This inventory is about relationships. And sometimes sex is a part of that. Sometimes it isn't. And so on my inventory, basically, there were nine people. These were nine important relationships, current and past. They included my parents, my former in-laws, my for some former boyfriends, not every single one, and my ex-husband and my, my current husband. And I, I took each of them and I put them through the columns and I looked at my part and I looked for my patterns. And so I'm going to focus on my, my ex and current husband because I think the contrast between who I was in my first marriage and how I show up today is just a testament to the steps. Um, so, you know, with respect to my ex-husband, you know, I, we married very young and then got divorced 12 years into our relationship. He was my college sweetheart and my first everything, you know, if you know what I mean. So where was I selfish in this relationship? I expected him to sacrifice to support my career. I prioritized my work over him all the time. I ignored his unhappiness because I felt that I was unhappier and I was working harder. I didn't take an equal role or responsibility for our finances. I let him take care of everything and take care of me so that I could work. And I was un totally unwilling to compromise on the big things. And I always put myself first. I was dishonest. I sought validation and male attention outside our marriage. I was unfaithful. There was so much dishonest thinking. I thought I was such a prize, you know, that I was so much better than him that I could just treat him any way that I wanted. And I blamed our lack of a sex life on him and his depression when a ton of it had to do with food, weight, my body image, and my self-esteem. And these were problems that I refused to look at the whole time. Where was I inconsiderate? I belittled him. I browbeat him. I took him completely for granted. After we separated, I was not discreet about my dating activities. And I have in parentheses here, what an asshole. Um, and I was financially irresponsible at times. I aroused jealousy, suspicion, and bitterness. What should I have done instead? Well, treated him with love and respect as any human being deserves rather than entitlement and contempt. Engaged in our relationship as an equal partner rather than expecting him to take care of me. And it was a selfish relationship. And, you know, it, this inventory informed my ideals in my marriage today, which I'll get to in a second. And then I'll talk about my inventory with my current husband. So, you know, despite all of that, somehow I found this amazing guy to marry. And, um, but still, you know, listen for the patterns that emerge. How am I selfish with my husband? I want things my way. I want to be right all the time. I want him to change intrinsic things about himself rather than accepting him as he is. I want him to see my job as a priority. Uh, you know, and treat his as secondary. I want him to treat me with gentleness and respect without doing the same. And I also, you know, I was self, I selfishly isolated in food and eating and completely pushed him away emotionally and physically when I was at my bottom. Where was I dishonest? When eating compulsively, I isolated and kept everything bottled up. I never let him in. 
I didn't express feelings. I never admitted when I was wrong or at fault. I never said I was sorry for anything. And I started to blame him for my unhappiness the way that I had done in my first marriage. And I had an emotional affair. So there was that same pattern. Um, Where was I inconsiderate? You know, I took his love and care without giving in kind. And I, and I was awful at expressing gratitude. I was very entitled. And I used to resent having to say thank you. Like it, oh, it just it gave me this terrible feeling. Like I was giving away some kind of power when I said thank you. I did arise, arouse jealousy, suspicion, and bitterness. And where was I at fault? And what, what should I have done instead? Well, clearly seeking to be helpful to him, loving him, admitting when he's right, praising him, thanking him, expressing gratitude and taking nothing for granted, and then exerting self-control when he does things that bother me, rather than nagging, criticizing, and analyzing him. So with all of this, all of this informed my ideals as a wife. How do I want to show up in my marriage? I want to love him with all the patience, kindness, and compassion that I want for myself. Express love and gratitude out loud every day. Work through any pride or contempt that starts to rise up in me so that it doesn't divide us. Be honest and accept his honesty, even when it stings sometimes. Take care of myself mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, so that I can be there for him. Continue to work my program. Like part of my ideals are working a strong program to develop spiritually so that I'm not relying on him or any other human for things that I shouldn't, like happiness, validation of my worth, self-esteem. And also to work as, at, as hard at our marriage as I do on everything else, including my job. Prioritize our relationship above my work. Be an equal partner in our relationship and our life together, which means sharing in chores, you know, managing finances, being on top of that stuff, and then being considerate of his feelings always, and then being honest, faithful, and above all, letting him into my inner world. So that's just a a brief example of kind of what some patterns and things that came out of my inventory and how they inform my relationship ideals. And, you know, I, I know there is a power greater than me because nothing else could have changed my feelings, my attitudes, and given me the strength to be changed and show up really differently. And today my marriage is so much better and brings me so much joy And it's not because he changed, it's because I changed. And I'd say that all of my relationships are stronger because of this program. And, you know, through my inventory, I really found that I wasn't comfortable with having relationships on an even footing. You know, basically, if you treated me like crap, I'd be drawn to you like a magnet. And if you were good to me, I took you for granted and stomped on you. And I didn't know how to just love or let myself be loved really. And so when I'm shaky, you know, I have a tendency to want to contract inward and pull away from others, including my husband even. And I have to take contrary action, you know, get on a meeting, call a fellow, open up to my husband. I do that today. I let him in. I try to do things that scare me and challenge me. Um, You know, because when I'm not living in the light, basically, you know, everything suffers, my relationship suffers, and I suffer. And I've realized, thank God, suffering is completely optional today. And I can choose away from that. So that's my 20 minutes. And I appreciate 
you guys and the, um, the opportunity and I'll pass.